This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back. I'm, I'm got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. Hello and welcome to House of Champions, where today we're discussing an issue of huge import in the global game, one that all too often is swept under the carpet as we obsess about transfers and tactics. 33% of Premier League players are black, but there's only one head coach, Patrick Vieira, uh, in the Premier League, who is black. The story's no less stark across Europe as well. I'm joined by House of Champions regular and West Ham great Nigel Rio Coker, who has helped put together today's panel and has told me I have to refer to him as West Ham great. <laughs> Norway international Pamodu Kar is also with us. He's currently an assistant at Charlotte's Hepsi, whilst Michael Johnson, formerly of Birmingham and Derby, is part of the England under 18 setup. Gentlemen, welcome. Uh, Nigel, I wanted to come to you first. Um, and maybe, because I know this is something you really wanted to bring up on House of Champions, um, why do you think this is an issue that, that we need to discuss? I think the game needs to reflect on what we see, you know, and I think you've got to look at it from our perspective as growing up as young black players and what we had to look at as role models and the opportunities we got in the game and also having a love and a passion for the game. It's wanting to take it to an another level. It's wanting to inspire the next generation of black players that they can be coaches and they can be directors of football and there's other avenues after your playing career and until we see a representation of ourselves that's going to be the tough situation and before we get deep into it James I just wanted to make something very clear because when you get into these conversations and this is exactly what we're having we're giving a conversation we're giving our experiences it's just to let people know we're not saying that we should get job opportunities just because of the fact of our color of our skin or because we're black we're letting people become a lot more aware that the fact is there are many qualified black candidates who can't even get an opportunity in the sense of just being able to be in the same room to get an interview or giving the opportunity to be shown what they can do. That's what this whole conversation is about. We're not here crying to say we want a job just because we're black and we were professional football players. We're saying, look at our resumes. We've done everything right. We've done through all the process to get qualified. And some of us are very overqualified and yet still can't get into a room to be able to have an interview. That is what this discussion is about. Uh, pa, do you want to dive in there? I saw you nodding along. No, I nod along because I do agree with him. I mean, growing up, me being being the first black Norwegian uh, international to play for Norway beside John Carew, you know, who Nigel maybe had a, 
uh, playing, you know. So Nigel knows him as well. But I mean, us growing up, we didn't see the black coaches. Me, I remember who uh, Jean Tigana was the one I saw. Jean, Jean, Jean Tigana. But what Nigel also is saying that is we want to earn our right. We don't want to be given, right? But that's the narrative that is the difference being a black coach or a black player. When black players played, it's like the narrative is they cannot coach or they cannot be these leaders. But we can lead the team. We can be captain of the team because Nigel captain West Ham. So if you allow Nigel to captain West Ham, what makes you not believe that Nigel is capable of coaching them? But it's the narrative that is created, right? So the narrative is what we're trying to shift to make sure that the newer generation, like ourselves, like Michael, that we pave the way for the coming generation to let them know that, no, it's okay to go down that route because we are capable to do what other people are capable of doing. But also, if we don't have no representation in the boardroom, that who can stand up and say, hey, listen, they can actually do it. That's where it is. That's where the narrative needs to change. Because on the field, we all know, everybody knows how to coach, whether you're white, black, yellow, it doesn't matter. But it's about, are we brave enough? Is society brave enough to see something that is a little bit different to what they are used to? When we break that barrier, it will be open. Michael, I know you work with, uh, I think at the moment you're with the England under 15 setup. These are obviously players in their really formative football years. I mean, are you conscious of the importance of young black footballers seeing someone like yourself um, in a uh, in a role of authority and the the value and, and esteem that can that can bring to young players starting in their journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I concur with the sentiments of Nigel and Pat. Um, it's very important for people to see different from all, sorry, see differences from all walks of life at senior leadership level. Um, not only as a point of reference, we all know the stigmas, you know, whether it's a Spanish player who's, who's, who identifies with a Spanish coach and he can help break down certain culture and certain nuances, um, but also for that player to also believe that they can achieve something special as well. And so right across the board from the leadership right down to the, the bottom of football in terms of, you know, you want to go to the fan base in England, you see very rare diversity within the fan base as, as well. So we have to make sure that football is um, is something that everybody feels is a place for them to be, whether it's as a fan, whether it's a, as a player, which we are seeing now, but more so in the leadership positions. You know, we're talking less than 2% leadership in England. Michael, just a quick one from me. I want, to, I want you to let the fans and people listening to just let, let us know the qualifications that you've got, the process you've been through, and also since being qualified, how many opportunities you've tried to apply for and how that whole process has been from your perspective. You don't have to go into super details of, of like clubs' names or anything, but just let people kind of understand as a black coach that's qualified what it's like with applying for clubs and how it gets, how, how basically the whole process is and, and how your experience has been. Well, I would say um, for the last 15 years, I've been on a conquest of just getting myself qualified. Um, and that is proving in a very, very difficult in terms of keeping your spirits going when there's nothing there at the end of it. And so as you know, Nigel, you come out of the game or you're playing towards the end of the game, you're encouraged to go and get your badges. So I got my A license, my pro license. Um, I got my all my academy um, licenses. Um, I've done my LMA diploma. I've done my coach to coaches. 
I've done this on 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 the board course. Um, I have two master's degrees, um, and so you see over the course of the last 10, 15 years that there's nothing else for you to get. And yet, I would have probably put out up until five, six years ago, 60, 70 odd seat applications for jobs. And I'm talking that we're going into non-league, um, and even in the non-league, there wasn't much success. Uh, and so you kind of you kind of look at the you know what you've got the career that you had and you kind of think well what next is there what should I do and I have nothing against anybody else but when I see other candidates getting opportunities I question the process you know what is the process how how does somebody who doesn't have certain qualifications get a job straight away when somebody who's had a history of getting themselves qualified playing career all the things that we are told to go and do when you get them still 10 15 years later you scratch your head thinking well are you going to get an opportunity and the worrying thing before i close is that you know i've seen many coaches whose um time to get a role is gone so we're missing out on generations we're missing out on real talented coaches that can make a difference to youngsters players from all walks of life michael can i ask Coming off that, and I mean this in the the politest way possible, and and part maybe afterwards you could kind of jump in on the on the same topic. But I have to say, you know, it's it's amazing to see the sort of resilience to keep going for this because you have you know you know the pro license you mentioned there that is the you know the highest qualification open to a coach. Do please correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you have you tick all the boxes, and yet you're not getting these opportunities. Why why keep trying? You know, that's obviously, you know, I mean, in a in the politest way possible, it's very easy to imagine that you wouldn't want to keep going for it. Yeah, um, I've, I've asked myself that question many a time, why you keep trying, but there's a there's an inner belief in, in, and there's, there's also something that, you know, there's a resilience to that you, you've worked so hard, why not? And obviously there was a chance and opportunity that I got in Guyana, so I was an head coach for Guyana. But even on the back of the success of the Guyana, which qualified for their very first Gold Cup in 2019, you know, the thought process was on the back of all your qualifications, on the back of Guyana qualifying for the very first um, time in their history, that there may be something. And you come back to the UK, you apply again, and there's absolutely nothing. Um, so I, I think that I will keep going. Um, I think my radar is looking a bit more towards a technical director, sporting director, because I want to be the one to try and implement that change for other people. Uh, and not so much change, but the, the, the fairness. It, all, all you're asking for is the fairness. You know, let everybody start at the same line. And whoever's the best person who crosses, crosses the finishing line, that's the person that should get the role. I mean, that is a great point that you put out there, Michael, because... In the other roles, let's say like technical director or sporting director, right? There's also not many of us. And when we have people that are in those roles and give us, let's say, the right opportunity because we deserve it, then people will see the different changes. But with the resilience going on is we've been, <laughs> the much of how we suffered during our playing careers, you know, and I will go back to saying, let's say like, racism involved in there, right? The way that blind people have been looked at, the things that have been called, we're always taught to be resilient because if we retaliate, the narrative always changes. No matter what people do against us, whatever it is, 
when we react, the narrative changes. So we don't win anything. So the way that we're thinking, and Michael and myself and, and Nigel is, how can we continue to try to change those narratives by doing the right things, being who we are? Because we are who we are. We, we're not going to change overnight. So going back to that, I'm resilient because I do believe that times will change, that nobody is going to stop black coaches or black people in certain positions to do what they need to do to make that change. Because from all walks of life, we can identify with anybody. We can. And that's one of the reasons why I want to speak so many languages, because to break that barrier that when people see me, they understand, all right, there's more to him than just kicking the ball. I'm a person behind me that I know that when I sit down and talk to somebody, whether it's in the game or outside the game, I want to leave them with the impression knowing that, huh, the impression I have of black people is not this. So you change that narrative. Once we, once we continue to change those narratives and the world is changing together with it, changes will happen. That's a great point, Pa. And I just think I want to jump in on that. For me, it's like you've heard from Michael and obviously Pa as well. And it's just going back to Michael first. Michael is overqualified. <laughs> there's not there's not even just qualified. He's beyond overqualified. And the fact of still not being able to be given an opportunity, which is what Michael is saying, and having success mm -hmm. with the Guyanese national team and still not be given opportunity is what we want people to really understand. And I think with Michael, his drive is believing in himself of what he can do is a big part. And I also think for someone like Michael and other players that I know and got to know on a personal level, they're inspirational to me. You know, they're not the players that we see in the limelight, in the spotlight, but these are the players that are doing the real work behind closed doors to make a change, to inspire myself and other people that I know into getting into that next level of football. Keep working, even though when doors are closed. Because the same situation of what Michael is talking about is the same situation we faced as kids making it. And this is someone who played at the highest level in the Premier League. And you're talking about 92 professional league clubs, one black manager in the Premier League and one in the championship and one in League One. Liam Rossini in League One, I believe. Uh, no, Liam Rossini in the championship and League One, I believe, is Darren Moore. And again, we talk about the dynamic and the effect of change and getting an opportunity and oh, sorry, I forgot Vincent Campini also in the championship. But we talk about the change in the dynamic. And us getting a job, and I'm going to say this to James as well and everyone listening, us getting a job is very hard. It's the hard part. But even staying in a job, it's another level. Because you've got to think, and we're speaking from a player's perspective. Like Pa said, when we get into these positions of power and becoming management, and because people are not used to it, some of the colleagues that you have will make it very difficult because they know if they can be a sour apple in the dressing room or if they can be a bad egg and let it spread, being a black coach, because we're not used to it and there isn't much of a debate out there about why we don't have enough black managers, why they're not involved in the game, why not we reflecting what we see on the football pitch, they can turn that dressing room against the manager and get him sacked because they're not used to it. And I'm speaking from my own personal opinion, my personal experience. Darren Moore invited me into West Brom when he was West Brom manager. I was playing at the time still, but I sat in the dressing room. I'm reading certain players. I'm not going to name the player's name, but there was one player in there that was an absolute asshole and knew what he was doing, making training difficult, making everything very difficult. And Darren Moore is a big, imposing man, as everyone knows. But he is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. When you say about a gentle giant, that is him. But he had a player in the dressing room 
where I knew he was playing on the fact of he doesn't give it. He didn't want to play for the team anymore. He's going to be disruptive because he knows in the end of the day that if they sack Darren Moore, no one's going to say anything. No one's going to really care. He's just like another black manager opportunity and, and get sacked. And it just goes to, I've seen that side of it. So even though getting a job is one thing, it's also staying in that job because there's other difficulties that we have to face because you've got to think about it. And it's the reality of it, James. As a black manager, yes, you're going to have white players, but are those white players going to be comfortable and respect you enough to say that that's the manager? And I've seen it with my own eyes and my own experience. I've seen how certain white players will play on that because they know how the system or how the land of the law, the land works. And I just wanted to know, like, Michael, have you seen that yourself or kind of faced that and sensed that? And part also, have you seen that when it's not just getting the job, it's when you get in that position, knowing the other things that we have to face with being a leader with some of um, other colleagues? I think it's a really good point. And I think, listen, it, and it's a strong point, but we all can reference what happened in the Euros. Like when the, when the guys missed, whether we liked it or not, we instantly knew, oh no, yeah. we knew what was, what was going to come. And this is a very similar point that night. Whether we like it or not, whether it's a player or a manager, your first thought, because we know that the under pressure straight away is, oh no. Hmm. And that can have the ripple effects through the change rooms. And what Nigel was talking about played out if you watch the Euros. And if you watched how that moment sort of torch off right through the fan base, and it's no different at managerial level, you worry, you panic, because we have so few in position that the pressure is on those so few to do well. You know, once they do well, it's like, oh, but the minute they go two and three, you're concerned because we have so few. And that's the real issue, is that because we have so few, the pressure mounts on. And from a black, white perspective, we know this. If I know that, then my white colleague in the change room is going to know that. <laughs> and Paul, yeah, I mean, if, if you could just maybe wrap up, wrap us up here for the first half with, with your viewpoint on this. I mean, it, it does feel like, you know, if, you know, as a, as a white manager, or frankly, you know, in my profession, as a white journalist, we don't have to sort of be defined by that. But, it, you know, it does sound like, you know, you are, you must be conscious that in, in the job you're doing, people aren't just making an assessment on you. But frankly, there are, you know, there are some people. Oh, on everybody. They just, they're making the, they're making the, they're looking at it as us as whole. They're not going to look at us as individuals like they do with other coaches. For us as black people, we're as whole, right? You, if you look at me, you look at Mike, you look at uh, Nigel. There's three passionate guys about this game, I can tell you from just looking at us. So imagine us at the training field talking with passion. One thing they will say, oh, he's too intense. So let me ask this question. If you as a black manager, Patrick Vera, doing exactly what Arteta is doing on the sideline and Pep Guardiola, what will be the response of the people that are on panels? The response will be, look at this bright coach. He's all over the place. He's yelling. He has no control over himself. But then the narrative to Ateta and Guardiola is they are passionate. They love this game. Right? So journalism also create a narrative for these people, which is also very important. 
because what is said and what is written about these people, when all the people read it without knowing who they are, they take it in. If people start to write, yeah, Nigel Coca is an a-hole or Nigel Coca is a bad person, they don't know, Michael don't know what he's doing. What is the response going to be? Hmm. The response is going to be that. So we are not only responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for a continent and for everybody that is coming behind us, which is not always easy because you know that if we don't make it, now the chance becomes lesser. Now there's another individual who is right behind me who can make it. So we, I wouldn't say we are on our toes, but we are also on our toes without, without being relaxed. So for me, when I took over Pacific, the good thing is I had the owner in Rob Friend who I played with. I played in him many times, so he knew me. So he knew what kind of person I was. So that kind of helps you going into the job. But to Nigel's point, if you have those bad apples who is in the dressing room, and they don't want you to succeed because they know what you're capable of. That is the difficult part. Because when we take this job, people know what we are capable of. But do they really want us to do the job the right way so that now it opens more doors? That I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. And certainly one thing that you know people in my profession can reflect upon, which, as you mentioned, is how even in unconscious ways we can talk in a different fashion about black uh, black coaches black players and obviously this you know came to light uh, a few years ago with the uh, with the realization of how much pace our phrase used and had, had almost taken on a negative connotation a negative connotation in relation to black players and i think you know there has to be a real consciousness of of the language we use and and like you say yes. of of treating any coach based on their own merits and and the work they do um, it's a great place to uh, to leave off for a, a first half that I've I've really enjoyed and, and I'm certain our viewers and listeners will as well. Uh, after the break, we're going to uh, discuss a little bit more of the the, the case in North America and uh, try and understand whether MLS is maybe making strides that Europe could learn from. And that'll be straight after the break. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Just a quick one before we jump in again. And obviously, like you said, we, I think that conversation there has been fantastic. And again, just again, for the listeners and people, I just want to let some people understand certain things. This is just a discussion. This isn't us crying about spilt milk because we know what we've had to go through to become players to get that recognition we know what we've had to fight through in our careers and what we fought through throughout our careers and this is the after bit of our career what we want to do and be inspirational to the next generation and understand like pa said judge us as individuals because there's so many of us that's individuals that's as michael is overqualified, overly qualified but just want an opportunity to show what they can do and just to say a few conversations just loosely leave it like how someone like Michael is, 92 professional league clubs in the Premier League and playing at the highest level. Getting that opportunity is one of the hardest things to do. But when you look at some of our counterparts, and again, we talk about some of England's golden generations, as you're well, well aware of, James. How are us? How are people like us supposed to feel when we've done the process, we've got the qualifications, and some of this so-called golden generation are being given jobs thrown at them without even being fully qualified that, where, that pathways are being made for them to get their qualifications quicker or go around the loopholes of getting, being able, eligible to become managers and gain opportunity after opportunity. And yet we can't even get an opportunity even in the league below in the championship. These are situations of what we're dealing with. And this is what I want the listeners to truly understand. You're talking about 92 professional clubs, spending your career playing at the highest level doing the right work and still not giving opportunities. And you look at some of the players that you played against, getting opportunities and becoming managers without putting that same kind of graft and application as you have. And yet we're still just wanting interviews. I, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, mentioning that golden generation where, where some of them parachuted in as well. You know, you have someone like Sol Campbell doing fantastic work at, at Notts County and fighting for every job. Um, you know, we don't want to make this about individual cases, but that does compare and contrast to some of the uh, the rest of the golden generation and the uh, big clubs in, in England and, and Europe where they landed. Um, I want to take this on a little bit to talk about MLS as well. We've got some, we've got Michael, you're in your MLS jersey. Nigel, Pa, you've, uh, you've played, uh, you played there and uh, Pa, you're now coaching in there. Um, I don't want to drown you all in stats and figures and the like, but before we kind of discuss the MLS in particular, um, a brief kind of insight into maybe some of the other American leagues, the NFL that's made up of 69.3% players of color. Um, there were six people representing 18.8% of NFL head coaches were people of color in the NBA. You have a 71.8% player pool that's made up of black players. Um, and as of October the 1st, 2022, 50% of coaches uh, are are um, are black or African-American. Um, so, I, I mean, it's hard to kind of know exactly how, how good or bad that is. Um, but it's clear, you know, in the NBA in particular, that it's becoming more reflective. Um, as, as to the MLS, 61.9% of players in 2022 were players of colour. The percentage of coaches in the MLS of colour decreased from... 42.9% in 2021 to 35%. Um, but part, you know, getting your perspective on the MLS, it, it feels like perhaps the the avenues are 
a little bit more open um, for coaches of talent than maybe they are in in Europe's top five leagues. I would say there are, in Europe's top five leagues, there are two black coaches, Patrick Vieira and Antoine Cumbare. Pa, is that is that kind of reflective of your experience that there are maybe more openings in, in MLS? Absolutely. I think um, when I look at somebody like myself who, who played in Europe uh, and then make the choice to come over here to, uh, to, to be in MLS, it's also partly seen in the other sports how also the black coaches have view and also given a quicker opportunity than they would have elsewhere. Right. So for me, it was it was it was a deliberate choice to come over here, seeing how the league is growing and also how can I put my input and help and, you know, and everything I've learned uh, in this game to pay it back because the game in the U.S. is growing. But I think still uh, you you face the same problems, whether it's here, whether it's Europe, the problems are still the same. And again, now we have what three coaches, which is in Robin Frazier. Then you have uh, Ezra Hendrickson. So when you look at those two, and also it's the same for me. I wish them to succeed. And now Wilfred Nancy, who who did fantastically in Montreal, by all means, I want them to succeed because their success will lead to eventually me having an opportunity. Because then I'll be looked at. Okay, you know. So their success is mainly important for us. So. It doesn't matter where we are. So that's the picture that people also got to understand. It's not whether you're in the MLS, whether you're in Europe. The thing is about where are the black coaches like Michael, who is doing fantastically, that is looking for an opportunity, not asking for opportunity, but looking to be viewed as equal to the other counterparts, that when people are making those decisions to go, you know what? Let's be brave and give this op- let's give this individual the chance to showcase what we can because we then can change the view of society. Because we talk about fans, we talk about people in the game, right? We can relate to anybody, but also you want to change of mindset, which is, okay, let's allow these individuals to do. I think that's the other side that the Americans are trying to do now to change the narrative and allowing more and more black coaches to be in leadership roles so that they can change as well as society, which is a very important piece. Michael, I'd like to ask you, um, obviously one of the reasons that that in the NFL in particular there has been something of a growth in black head coaches has been the, the Rooney rule, which means that a, uh, a black or African-American uh, head coach must at least get an interview, a candidate must at least get an interview for a head coaching job. I remember in, I think it was 2015, uh, Les Ferdinand Sir Les Ferdinand, director of football at uh, QPR, uh, formerly of Newcastle Tottenham, even though he played for Tottenham, player I absolutely loved watching back in the day. Um, amazing header of the ball. Sorry, I'm going, getting sidetracked here. He said uh, that it would help uh, if the FA introduced a, a Rooney rule. What's sort of your, your response to that? Because I know it's something that... Um, it can be quite contentious, you know, going back to what Nigel was saying earlier about people wanting a fair chance. Um, I think maybe there are some that, that, that react as sort of seeing it as preferential. I don't agree with that point of view, but it is a point of view that's a view on, on the argument that England and, and maybe Europe as well should be looking at something like a Rooney rule. I think, I think we have to um, be honest and look at, um, in any circumstances where there's a disadvantage, then what we try and do is level the player playing field by making it even. So what we're saying here is 
coaches are kind of should be now be brought up to speed with the at a level level playing field. And this level level playing field is meaning just to get to the interview, um, get into the interview process. It doesn't mean you're going to get the job. It doesn't mean to say that you, you don't have to work hard, you don't have to get your qualifications. But what it's saying is there's quite clearly a disparity between what happens when a player of colour goes for a job compared to the counterpart. So what we're saying is the renewal would allow that to happen. We're now we're, we're, we're at a level playing field where we're going into the interview process. And what I, what I would also say is that, you know, You've also got to look past that. You know who's making these decisions. Who's you know, and this isn't just about what we see in terms of management. It's senior leadership as well, because those senior leadership and discussions will account for that process. Will account for what's happening in your academy, your fan base, your wider um, communities that might want to access the ground and sell their products in a real diverse community. And, and so the whole landscape of football can be shifted by just being a little bit more um, inclusive in our decision-making process when we're recruiting the right person for the right role. And it's quite clear that research has shown how diversity counts towards the actual fin finance of, of, of a club. It's clear. It's been there to see. We can all have discussions and bring things to the table from different avenues that make us arrive at a more research conclusion. So it, it's clear that, it, it, you know, from a financial point of view, it stacks up. I think just to add to that, um, James, I think it's a great point that Palm and, and Michael both made. And I think for me, with, with Par quickly, the MLS, I'll give credit to the MLS because the initiative in where Par was and, you know, before he got this opportunity with Charlotte, I was there also. And I got to meet the people behind the, the, that working wheel of getting this in the process. And I give that credit. And just to kind of connect the two in their opinions, I think Michael's right. But what I'm going to add on to that is, for me personally, I look at it in this way, in the sense of, I think the Premier League and the MLS are both leagues that can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. If these leagues that are seen around the world, and like what Michael says, it's the money, and what the Premier League does, it goes on the whole notoriety of it's a worldwide league. They have players from all over the world. If you have players from all over the world, reflect that. The Premier League has the ability to reflect that in not just the manager you see, not just the assistant, but also on the bench, the backroom staff. When you start reflecting that diversity greatly, really cater to the worldwide base that you're going for, for the fans in South Africa, Kenya, Mozambique, Philippines, when you start really showing that diversity, other leagues will follow. The Premier League is the one league that's watched around the most in world football. If they start leading by example, other leagues will follow because you've got to go beyond that because obviously we talk about, you know it, James, as well, the multicultural aspect of society of Great Britain, as we so mm. to say. Other nations, we know what goes on already. We talk about Spain. You know, I think Spanish people don't realise there is an element of racial unconscious bias that goes on in their league. When you look at the Vinicius Junior situation with what was said and how that started off by the head of the agency or Spanish agency football association or whatever and encouraging that kind of behaviour. But if the Premier League start leading the way, we're showing, and it's the visual aspect, more black coaches, more diversity on the bench, other leagues will follow. And I think the MLS has the power to do that as well which is why they started this initiative in the fact of wanting to see more diversity, wanting to encourage that. Because if you want to sell that worldwide, 
people now at the point where they want to see and visualize people who look like them. So these are the leagues I feel that are in the most advanced position to really start putting out that out there. And when they do, and these clubs be successful and they will be successful, like Michael said, with diversity being a strength, other leagues will follow suit. Without a doubt. Yeah, and, I think you're absolutely and, right. Go on, Paul, sorry. And uh, with MLS Next Pro, they're actually doing that. Because if you look at MLS Next Pro, uh, I would say what 40% of the coaches are minorities. Right, which is a good start. But again, to Nigel's point, when we see, let's say, 30 teams, if you get 10 that are qualified, right, that deserve the opportunity because also they work, uh, uh, they work their, their socks off to be in those positions. That's when change will happen. Change doesn't happen overnight. We're not asking for change to happen overnight, but also we're letting people know that we are in the wings we are ready. We have our qualification. We know also what to do because let's be honest, football is more about managing people than tactics. I know a lot of people will give away tactics, but if I don't know how to handle somebody as a person, it doesn't matter what I will tell him on the pitch because it is not going to matter. And to the point that some of us have been blessed to play with different cultures and understand those cultures so that when they arrive, we know how to handle certain people. If you ask me how to handle an Arab now, I'll tell you how, because I was fortunate enough to play in Saudi Arabia to know how they are. I know how to handle a Mexican or a South American because I've had them in my locker room. And I know how to handle a European because I'm I'm a black uh, Iceman. I'm a Norwegian. So I kind of know how to handle those people, right? So that goes hand in hand. So when I see all the people... And if you know how to talk to them with certain turn and certain make them feel a certain way, you know, because that's what it is. How do you man manage people? And how can people look at you and say, you know what, I want to be led by him? Because players know what is right and wrong. <laughs> so they know who they want to lead by. Because if you under, if players understand you, they will go, you know what, I'm standing behind this person. Not somebody who understands the system, as Nigel was saying, and go, you know what, this guy is good. But if he's doing well, we ain't going to look good. And maybe I'm not going to chance to play. So let me play the victim. Let me play the victim role because he will be looked as the villain, as always. So changing that narrative is what we're asking, that people to look at it differently. I, I, I agree. And I mean, I think that the thing, you know, that I would want to reassert as well is, is just what Michael said, that, you know, teams, clubs, leagues will only kind of get better by embracing this diversity, by giving themselves access to more talented coaches. You know, it's as simple as that. And I think that for me is, you know, why would you not be doing this? Why would you not be exploiting the uh, the, the talent pool that's out there fully? And, um, you know, respect to anyone that kind of gets into to coaching as well. And Par, if you're ever having to deal with anyone like Nigel, uh, you're certainly I would love a Nigel in my locker room. In for, love, <laughs> but, but you know what? Because, no, but I love, because for me, because for me, this is what I say, right? Because people look at Nigel and the first thing you'll say, he's too opinionated. He has too many opinions. So what about all these other players that doesn't look like him that have those opinions? They are looked at as, no, he's looking for the good of the team. I would love a player like Nigel in my locker room because as me, as a coach, I'll know how to handle Nigel. Because We, we'll, we need Nigel. some tips then. But no, you got to talk to Nigel in a certain way that you understand. Nigel is from the streets. So you're not going to tell Nigel something that he doesn't go into his head. And that goes with all the players. Because to sell a smoke, 
that a lot of coaches do. Sorry for my language. A lot of coaches will sell smoke, sell the reality, sell the truth. If me, I'm talking to the player. I'm not going to tell you. If you if you bad, I'm going to tell you you bad. I'm not I'm not going to stand in front of you try to say something that is. If Nigel is not doing right in training, I'll look at him in the eye and say, Nigel, you were shit. But he will appreciate that. If I tell him directly in front of him, he will appreciate that rather me going, you know, and Nigel were good. Because then he will tell me what kind of bollocks is he trying to sell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the reality. We've all been there. Michael, he knows. We all knows. That is the difference. We straight you know Honestly, on closing for me, James, I just think that <laughs> it's just been such a great conversation. And Pa makes a good point that I really didn't think that much to come and say it. But he's right. It's changing that narrative because... For us as black men and black coaches, we already know the double standard we're going to face. And what we're trying to get you, yourself, or listeners to understand is these are the dynamics that we have to face. Like how we show our passion because of the narrative that's been painted, not just in football, but in society in general. We're always like, oh, he's aggressive, he's this, he's that. But the same passion that we show as our white counterparts and colleagues do, it's seen as, oh, you know, he's dedicated. He wants to win. I could even say it. You've seen it, James. I've seen it with Tom Brady over here, Pa. You've seen it with Tom Brady on the <laughs> sideline. Tom Brady's so passionate. Now, when it's a black NFL player, oh, he needs to control his anger. He's got temperature. He's got um, issues and this. And I'm like, wait. Yep. So Tom Brady can do it because he's seen as the, the golden goose. But anyone else who does the same thing, it's, oh, no, he's not doing it right. He's, uh, he's too aggressive. He needs to calm down and X, Y, and Z. So for us, I think, that, that's a good point for people to really understand. It's the double standard that we face. And it's kind of a bit of a way you're damned if you do if you're damned if you don't. And I've got so much respect for Michael and for Pa because I know without obviously knowing them too deep and personal, the relationship I have with them, I know they face so many obstacles and struggle. And to have that ability to continue to go and believe in yourself and that desire to want to go and prove people wrong, I think that's a real strength of character and a real testament to these men and want to thank them for giving us their time today and really sharing their story and experiences. I love this appreciation there from, from Nigel. And I, I think you. we're going to, I mean, I, I would love to go on for longer but, and we're incredibly grateful, Michael Parr and, and Nigel, for you sharing your time to talk about this. And maybe we should end um, just going around, starting with yourself, Michael, on, on whether you see optimism that this will sort of, in, the situation will improve in the near future. Um, because it, it feels like changes may be happening. And I know Patrick Vieira said this as well, that it's not happening as quickly as, as yeah. many would like. But do you feel like the situation is changing for the better? And will, if it is, will it continue to do so? Yeah, I, and, and you know, it's been a fantastic um, hour or so. And um, you know, it's been such a wonderful discussion. And I think discussions like these will help change the dial. And we have to be collected, whether it's across seas, whether it's across cities. We have to keep these communications and connections going because these are the kind of discussions that will force change. Um, it's slow. There's no way There's no way we can deny it's slow. Um, but we've got to keep pushing because we're open for a better tomorrow. You know, we want a world. We want our children to live in a world that is diverse, that is you know, open to anyone as you know, I, I want to be able to tell my child that as long as you are qualified and you do what you need to do through school and education, you get an opportunity through no other no other circumstances than your skill sets. So it, the fight's not just about, you know, me getting the role or Pat getting the role. This is, you know, for a fairer society, a world that we all want to live in that is inclusive of people from all walks of life. 
Huh? Nah, it is. It is where the world is going right now. Changes are being made, but again, changes on our end for where we want and what we want to achieve is always going to be slow. But it's about doing the right processes. It's about keeping going. It's about facing whatever is thrown at us, and we thrive in it because at the end of the day. The people that are going to benefit is the future generation that is coming behind us. We still got to do the work. So to make sure that the generations behind us will have the success that we may not have gotten because we were the front runners of it, right? So it's always going to be like this. So I'm very optimistic about what is going to happen. And and, and seeing also where MLS is going, seeing that now they're, 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 they're going to Apple TV where Nigel as well is going to be one of the studio analysts this is this is this is mildly important. Like I know a lot of people don't look at it, but it is mildly important because if then somebody's gonna speak on my behalf, he is gonna be understanding where I'm coming from and why I may do certain things. These are the part that people also gotta understand, right? So if he's gonna speak on behalf of black coaches and black assistants, there's no better person to do that. Because I don't believe that you can speak on my behalf, James, if you understand what I mean. So that's the no, thing that absolutely. people have to understand. So having people in this, uh, having Nigel in that, and all the black uh, ex-players in, in those panels are mightily important so that they can do the work on for us on, like, on the TVs while we're doing the work on the pitch. And therefore, the collaboration will thrive and that will make other people look at us different. But they're certainly optimistic. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see Nigel in his suits. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've got much more to add to that. I think both of them have put it perfectly well. That I don't really need to add more. I just think that I am optimistic. I believe that, you know, it will come. It'll take time. But it's people like Michael and Pa that have to be in the front line, as you can hear Roman screaming in the background, that have to be in the front line leading the way and believing in themselves, just like how we believe in them without being there. But we believe in them and what we've experienced in life in general to make it as a professional football player in that first place is what's going to give us the strength to continue to believe and fight and just lead the way where change will eventually come. But it's people like these two gentlemen here that are going to make that happen. And uh, conversations like this will continue to open people's eyes and minds. Absolutely. And thank you to all three of you for joining us. And thank you to those of you that have been listening, that have been watching on YouTube. There's something a little bit different for House of Champions. I know, Nigel, you were really passionate about us getting to talk about this issue. And I'm so glad we did. And I'm so glad we've had three experts and uh, leaders in the field to uh, to talk about this. So thank you so much. Thank you for watching. And we will be back very soon on House of Champions to talk all things football. Uh, thanks again to these three guys. And we will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.